0: Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with Mike Hart, VP of IT at Arkansas Children's. In this segment, Hart talks about what it it took to roll out an enhanced telehealth platform in a matter of weeks across dozens of diverse environments, how being in a reduced revenue, reduced throughput environment has helped his team to prioritize, and the overhaul that disaster planning will get after COVID caught leaders off guard. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR. Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare see your whole patient visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more
1: so i wanted to talk about what some of your your core objectives are can you just kind of give an overview of arkansas children's
2: yeah so uh, arkansas children's hospital is the only pediatric hospital in the state of arkansas and we're now technically a health system we actually have two hospitals Uh, we opened up a second hospital uh, about two and a half years ago and we created a clinically integrated network uh, that's pediatric-focused. I think we're the first pediatric clinically integrated network in the in the country. So all of that's happened in the last few years. Uh, we, we support the whole state, obviously, and um, don't have a lot of in-state competition, so to speak. But, uh, we've been around as an organization for over 100 years. And we're probably one of the top three uh, most uh, recognized name brands in the state, Uh, the other two being the Arkansas Razorbacks and uh, Walmart. Uh, So, uh, (laughs) you know, but uh, we're very tightly connected to our community. And uh, if you ever come here and work with our people, you can intimately see that everybody's very mission driven and they really believe in what we do and who we serve and uh, the connection to, you know, this great state.
1: Right. That's pretty incredible being the, the only uh, health system dedicated to, to children. It's not a small state.
2: <laughs> no, it's not too small. I think we're a little over 3 million people in total.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start off with COVID and kind of how that, that has affected your strategy.
2: I mean, it's had a large impact on us, uh, obviously. Being in the position I'm in, I, I've worked with a lot of other organizations and talking to them about strategy and what we're doing and and what they're doing and and hearing in these uh, conference calls that we've had with various groups about the gaps and so forth. And it seems like whether you're adult or pediatric focused, uh, we're all facing some of the same challenges and, and using some of the same avenues to try to close those gaps. So while we haven't been greatly impacted directly by having like an abundance of COVID patients, which we haven't, We have been impacted from a revenue and a cutbacks of the state on elective surgeries and clinic visits and those types of things. So just like the adult hospitals, we saw the same reduction in attendance to uh, the clinics and our elective surgeries, which impacted our inpatient census, ED visits and so forth as well. So our revenue dropped just like we were an adult hospital during those early cutbacks that the state had put into place. So once those were lifted, we were able to, to reinstate uh, our normal operating procedures. And, you know, I would say at some level, we've come back very well. We're nearly 100% in terms of uh, returning back to our normal throughput for the organization. And, and that's both in the clinics and in every other form. Uh, so we're very close. We're not quite 100%, but we're getting there. And uh, I would say we're on track. But in terms of that, how it's impacted us beside that is just like the other organizations, we've had similar concerns around a lot of the original plans that were project related that were somewhat Mm -hmm. optional, but, you know, would cost us money. And now we're in more of a cash preservation reduction in planning because we don't know where COVID is going in terms of this fall, you know, is it going to get worse? Are we going to go back to reducing that throughput that allows us to generate revenue and, and if so, then how can we increase or enhance our revenue income to help shore us up? And in one regard, uh, what we went through uh, starting around March into the summer uh, has really helped us think through that heavily. And we feel pretty good about where we are now. And the plans we have in place, if it gets worse and if it doesn't get worse, obviously, uh, that's very good as well. So I, I think we're in good shape regardless of what comes because of the planning that uh, these early months have given us.
1: Right. And and can you talk a little bit about more about what went into those plans? Because obviously, this is such an atypical situation, not knowing how long things would last. But yeah, if you could just, just elaborate a bit on that.
2: Yeah. So originally, when things took off with COVID uh, and we started cutting back, obviously, we were like everybody else with the enhancement of telehealth Technically, um, we had telehealth. We weren't using it very much. I think we were having somewhere in the neighborhood of less than 50 visits a month using telehealth uh, in a very mm-hmm. small area. We, we have o- over 80 clinics. Uh, so, 50 visits a month, you, you can see how small that was. It was very limited use. And um, as soon as this started, we began to enhance that. And our roadmap prior to COVID was that we were going to uh, enhance and roll out a more robust telehealth program over the next 2 years. <laughs> so that didn't turn out to be our true uh, plan uh, once covid hit we had to do it in you know a matter of weeks. So uh, you know that was the initial component that really said all right we've got to shift all of our resources to getting telehealth fully implemented and and really it took an army uh, for us to do that. And you would think it would be easy but uh, when you have a great deal of diversity and how your clinics operate and expectations and mm-hmm. so forth. And you've got different leaders and disciplines in all of these places. And you've got, in our case, we had multiple technologies at our disposal. So there was a lot of decision making that had to be done, a lot of uh, trial and error with the various technologies, uh, the handholding in terms of educating people on how to do this easily and quickly so that it didn't frustrate the providers, didn't frustrate the families. And Mm -hmm. we went through that whole process for about a month. Uh, We had all hands on deck to do that. Once that stabilized, we began uh, to refocus our efforts away from things that were more optional engagements and focusing more on the engagements that we knew were going to carry us for the long term. So for instance, uh, population health, our ability to uh, understand how we're driving our clinically integrated network how we're dealing with uh, the populations, how we're able to use our data in a meaningful way to help us with that engagement, both in terms of providers within our clinically integrated network, but also within our own clinics and how we can streamline all of that in a way that should COVID increase, you know, we have to have the in-person visits reduced again in the future, how we can leverage that information both with uh, our insurance providers in our clinically integrated network to help drive forward in a way that's more meaningful and specified based off of real information. For us, uh, that's kind of how we've shifted the last two to two and a half months of focus is really starting to increase that side of our knowledge base uh, so that our strategy is really focused on all of that to help drive us successfully, you know, at least through uh, the next year if, if COVID becomes and stays an issue. So... The things that were going to be very expensive for us, you know, I think most hospitals I've talked to had some form of cutbacks, financial cutbacks. They reduced bonuses. You know, in some cases, I've talked to organizations that reduced salaries for a period of time. And some organizations have even closed positions, real positions uh, with real people in them. So our ability to be successful in this new reduced revenue, reduced throughput environment that COVID has put us in has forced us to look at how we spend our money and to look at those optional things and focus more on the mandatory things that are going to make us successful. So that's how our minds have shifted and really driven toward those worst case scenarios, hoping that we don't end up in those situations.
1: Right. Yeah, it certainly makes a lot of sense, um, especially when, when you talked about focusing on, on population health. Now, as far as some of the
2: initiatives
1: that had to be put on the back burner, is that something where you're starting to look at that yet, or is it really kind of on a case by case basis?
2: Yeah, we, we do a lot of that on a case by case basis. You've got to look on your return on investment with those things. Uh, some of those aren't necessarily expensive in terms of cash cost. But they are expensive in terms of resource cost. And I'm talking about people and investing their time. When you're looking at reducing as much overhead as possible, and in some cases, some organizations reducing FTE where they didn't actually have to have those FTE to meet their bottom lines. You then begin to look at uh, project alignment in terms of resource allocation as well as cash allocation so we began to uh, cut back on the things that could be very resource intensive and again a return on investment is important and so we we do on each of our project initiatives a uh, business case review of what it actually cost us in terms of money and our resource cost and then the return on investment from those initiatives and you know who it impacts how big is the impact Um, we have various rankings for, you know, different categories. And then we we do an overall roll-up of and quantification of those details into a final weighting of a project in terms of its value. And then we compare those to each other to see which ones we think we should move forward with and which ones we're going to at least put on a hold status. We won't necessarily take it off as a permanent removal, but just a not right now type of decision. Okay.
1: So in some ways, Do you think that what IT organizations have gone through is really going to have a long-term impact when it comes to prioritizing or even, you know, uh, selecting projects?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think the short answer is it depends on how you define long-term. We're talking about Mm -hmm. long-term being the next 12 months, probably so. If we're talking long-term over many years... I still think it will have an impact in how we decide what to do moving forward over the years to come, only under the new premise that this could happen again. Let's say COVID goes away, uh, we get a vaccine, you know, we've got it under control, and it becomes no more than the flu by this time next year. If that is the case, we would still move forward with a different understanding of what we need to be prepared for and how we need to make decisions in a more meaningful way in case something like this reoccurs. I think this somewhat caught most of us off guard to some extent, mm-hmm. we've had various things in the past, not like this, and, um, and now that we've had this, it you know, certainly raises uh, the idea that it could happen again. So I do think the long-term strategies will be different than they've been in the past. We've always tried to think proactively, but now it you know, takes it to a new level when we realize just how much can happen this quickly. Uh, so I, I do think the long-term strategies will be different. Uh, the next 12-month strategy uh, will be the most aggressive because we don't know what COVID is going to do uh, this fall and even into next spring. And therefore, mm-hmm. we're going to plan for the worst-case scenario, hoping that it actually ends up better than expected.
1: Right. Right. When you talked before about getting things like telehealth off the ground and having physician practices that have different systems, what does that look like in terms of uh, the EHR? What is that picture?
2: Yeah, That's a great question. I'd say honestly, and I've talked with many organizations as we've gone through this the last few months, and it seems like there's different thoughts on it from the different organizations in terms of what they've experienced Uh, And it depends on who you're talking to at those organizations. But when you get down to the uh, people that have actually worked in the support of these environments, I hear a lot of the same things through all of the organizations, which is it's a little bit messy. And there Mm -hmm. are technologies that are doing decently well um, for organizations that are using them in certain ways. Um, But when you have an organization, for instance, ours, Arkansas Children's, where you have a lot of diversity of how things are managed clinic to clinic, as in most organizations, a lot of diversity Mm -hmm. of thought, a lot of different workflows, a lot of different needs from one clinic to the next. Uh, If you have that type of an organization and you need different requirements in your technology to create a telehealth program, we haven't really found a single entity that uh, does it all and does it all well. Uh, so you end mm-hmm. up as kind of a piecemeal environment where there are certain scenarios that this provider doesn't offer and another one does. And you have to use that other solution for that scenario. Uh, now, in terms of integration with the EMR, um, we are working with uh, vendors, telehealth vendors that, provide integration with our our system, which at Arkansas Children's, we're on the Epic platform. And we're looking at the telehealth vendors um, that integrate with the Epic platform. And Mm -hmm. then at the same time, Epic itself is creating its own built-in solution. So we're also Mm -hmm. looking at that. We're looking at multiple uh, third-party vendors that integrate with Epic. And then we're also looking at the Epic solution. The more integration you get the better for both the provider and for the family Um, when you're using a patient portal it makes it easier to document it makes it easier to access and it makes it more seamless so uh, that's definitely something that's important to our organization and the ones that i've talked to
0: thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com to hear other podcasts visit our website or subscribe to our account in itunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.